0: is a consummate entrepreneur he was not always that way though currently he stands as the founder of two enterprises which specialize in the fields of multimedia and software development he has come a long way in his entrepreneurial journey in today's episode we'll talk about how ryan found his way to the business life the reason why people are becoming software developers and how a businessman should see himself in relation to society thank you and i do hope you enjoy today's episode Hey Ryan, welcome to my podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Attorney Rami.
0: <laughs> you, you really don't need to call me attorney during the <laughs> podcast, it's so weird. Uh, but then, uh, for the benefit of the listeners though, because they don't know who you are, do you mind mm. introducing yourself?
1: Alright, so um, my name is Ryan, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I kind of still flinch every time I say that, um, but uh, yes, I have uh, co-founded two businesses. They are Mata, or Mata Technologies Incorporated, and Ehrlich or Ehrlich IT Services Incorporated I co-founded them with their respective CEOs for Mata that's Erica and uh, for Ehrlich that's Bastion so I'm uh, a co-founder of both and the COO of both we are at over 50 employees total as of today
0: mm. so Ryan, you know you didn't you actually hinted at it a little bit by saying that you kind of wince at the the term entrepreneur <laughs> um before before I dive into like the nitty gritty of your business uh, experience and the context of being a businessman in Cebu, why is it that you hesitate to refer to yourself as an entrepreneur
1: I don't know if it's just um, uh, i mean it's, it's a it's a phenomenon uh, i think among uh, and i've read about it that uh, you know people who have uh, and to be modest about it like come from nothing just have a hard time if they ever at all shedding that title like nothing the nothing title like you know it's it's always a um a battle within where uh, you have to accept that yes you have um established a level of impact uh, or uh, a, a degree of uh, reach uh with or in terms of or rather with the businesses that you've built but i don't know if it's just uh uh, displaced humility (laughs) or just uh hesitation to claim um but yeah i i I don't think i'll ever grow out of that it's you know calling myself an entrepreneur um i would rather in a a more informal setting maybe call myself a hustler because you know that's uh technically what i've been doing since day one so yeah, I guess that that's my long answer to <laughs> to, to, to that.
0: Well, is it, is it is it would it be incorrect to call that a little bit of imposter syndrome or uh...
1: exactly that I was I was going to mention. Yeah, um imposter syndrome. Uh, I think it's it's a hard thing to um to shed. And uh shedding it, I have tried, you know. So it's like uh, I have I have done some things uh to to kind of uh, work my way through that, but at the same time, it's like there's some utility to keeping it, um, which is that you never like get any, uh, degree of, um, quote unquote success get to your head. Um, it grounds you, I guess is uh, my best, uh, my best, um, description of it. So being grounded is something I've always uh, taken pride in. Um, and, uh, which is kind of the, the very source of my joy in every new milestone or every bit of, progress that I've been making because I, I always look back to what I was just a day before or a year or a decade prior.
0: mm mm-hmm. Okay, so actually, we, we met up recently, and that wasn't for something official, but you mentioned casually, uh, we met up in the CBTL near my office, and you pointed out, you said you, your boss was over there, <laughs> and you had a, this kind of smile on your face, because you were reminiscing the time you were employed, and then you didn't own your own business. So mm-hmm. you've since then embarked on this journey, which I think a lot of people will agree is very daunting, especially in the context of Cebu. You know, uh, being a negociante, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, it's, it's one of those things which doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, it is not a choice that they would offer often consciously make so i guess my question is what convinced you that this
1: was a journey that was for you i have a short answer to that and that's um freedom but uh there's more to it than that right um so and if i were to walk you through it it was uh it is uh, made up of several factors and maybe three that i can point out are Um, Number one, the desire for impact, Um, number two, the desire for wealth, and number three, liberty or the desire for self-control or like control over the environment. So again, I guess the way to say that is freedom. So And in, not exactly in that order, right? So maybe wealth came first, and then freedom, and then impact. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and and it, if you were to ask me what made me decide or what pushed me in that direction, um, uh, I've always had in the back of my head um, uh, some business ideas. Um, and so as a businessman, I would say I started at the age of 21, so that's when, when I had my first uh, retail business. Um, and uh, so, so I've always kept an eye on opportunities where, um, you know, by putting in 10 pesos, you, you, it would come out 20 in 30 days. Or, some, you know, some, some, some way to hustle, I guess, is the, the perfect way to explain it. Because at age 16, I've always been thinking of how can I get a leg up? Um, in this uh, world of competition having been homeless at that point because I was uh, just trying to survive and you know in the process of surviving I guess I wound up with some skills and some insight into um, m- like economics uh, on a micro scale um, and uh, I guess I carried that along uh, in in my marketing career and that's uh, as you pointed out earlier, that boss that I was pointing to, um, who my boss was in, um, and in, in that marketing career, so, so again, uh, first it was uh, me thinking about ways that this hustle attitude, um, the skill set that I accumulated over the years could make me money. So it started there. Um, so I've always had that eye, and then. The the great push, I would say, the the tipping point was in that job, that uh, that was my last job, um, that four year job that I had. Um, I've always thought of myself as someone who will like like the job for until I retired. I've mm-hmm. always seen myself as working there um, for the remainder of my career, and then the tipping point came, which was that I had. Uh, um, let's just say that my work, uh, the work dynamics changed where my, my boss at the time had, uh, well, I, you know, we, we, we just kind of didn't get along well. And, you know, like eight months, I think into it, I decided, well, why don't I cash out on the things that I've always thought of myself that I was capable of doing and start my own business. Uh, and uh, through that eight-month process, I think—I mean, it could be like a, a year, really. I don't remember exactly how many months that was. But through that process, I figured I'll, I'll start a business and go from there. Um, and it—it uh, has been—it has been, it has been uh, um, nonstop from there. That—that's been the case since since that day. Um, of course, the direction of the business or my um pursuit has changed in many different ways. but uh, one thing was constant, which is that the intention for uh, jumping into business was always made up of these three intentions. Again, freedom. Um, and I say I always say that success to me is defined by whether you can eat or sleep anytime you want and anywhere. Mm. Um, and then wealth uh, and then uh, impact. Now, impact kind of just came naturally um, through the course of the past few years. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's my long answer to, <laughs> to what convinced me.
0: No, long answers are perfect for podcasts. <laughs> uh, but I guess, I guess I should latch on to one thing uh, that really jumped out to me. You said you started a business at the age of 21, uh, what, and it was a retail business. What, mm-hmm. what, what was that retail business?
1: Safety equipment for motorcycle riders. So anything you wear if you're a motorcycle rider, it could be uh, all the way down um, or from helmets all the way down to boots, to gloves, armors, pads, even sweatshirts.
0: Okay. And so now you're in um, software development and uh, the direction of uh, creative endeavors. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I guess, I guess, so for me, one of the things that's really interesting is a lot of the same disciplines that apply in much simpler businesses apply in much more complicated Mm, businesses. So what are, what are some lessons that you had, which applied when you were selling motorcycle accessories? And now that you're working on a much Mm. bigger organization that involves, involves more people, what, what are the learnings that can be common to both that are applied to both and, how might they be different
1: hmm okay that's uh that's an interesting way to uh to put it um the or put the question which is the what are the things the things that i learned from that small scale from age 21 to today um the organization of that size first of all i would say it's always been made up of my um my sights on supply and demand so whenever there's a thing that, I mean, that's that's the basic principle of, uh, of supply and demand, right? Where you provide what the market needs, and if you can do it for cheaper, and if they're willing to pay for it, then you make, you'd make money, whatever the difference is. Um, so if I latch on to the term hustle, that's really uh, what I would say at the core of it all. I remember, The moment I, and that was like January 1, uh, no, actually January 3, um, 2022. Uh, No, excuse me, 2012. Um, January 3, 2012 is when I decided to like plunge, right? Like uh, there was this life event, um, and uh, I'm like, oh, uh, I gotta figure out this money situation, I have to make more of it. Um, I put in like seven thousand, which was my entire uh, salary at the time. <laughs> I was working as a call center agent. Um, I, I I shoved all of it into buying like um, inventory, um, things, uh, motorcycle safety equipment that I was already a major customer of. I, I put more money into it because my friends have always wanted to buy the stuff that I have. Um, so I just bought more of my stuff and then uh, started like posting them up uh, for sale all right I'm finally letting go of these personal equipment Um, and it just grew from there so again from 7,000 it started actually with a 1,100 peso armor Uh, I sold it for 1,500 and then I'm like oh, okay maybe finally I'll plunge uh, I'll take the dip and I put all my uh, money into it all 7,000 of it (laughs) (laughs) And then in five months, uh, by May 2012, um, it grew to uh, an inventory size of 55,000 pesos. Nice. So I'm like, hmm, uh, maybe there's a business out of this. And um, in the course of me thinking that I can grow this business and ride it all the way out, I realized that um, there are other things that are, of course, uh, you know, there are other factors that, of course, you couldn't have factored in at the beginning, such as, now or at the point when things were get, getting steady things were becoming regular I was having a regular uh, uh, um, cargo coming in um, I started realizing that oh this isn't this doesn't give me uh, give me joy anymore um, it doesn't bring me the satisfaction I thought I would have Um and uh, so, so again, I mean, that's just one out of like maybe eighty lessons, right? Um, that that I encountered through the course of that um, of my business life, starting from that day, um, or from that first business. But uh, that's uh, that's that's how we, or, or rather, uh, that's that's how I remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember it.
0: And and now you you own a business that that has fifty rather well paid employees that probably makes that. Inventory of 70, fifty thousand pesos mm. seem a little <laughs> bit cute <laughs> by comparison. <laughs> um, I guess, it, and the thing is that you know, I I I phrased the question a bit unfairly because I wanted to tease out a comparison between Ehrlich mm. and um, your previous uh, business selling motorcycle parts, a mm-hmm. uh, motorcycle accessories rather, uh, and sort of asked you, you know, yeah. Uh, why is it that you made a jump? Because uh, for the benefit of the listeners, Ryan does not have a an IT background. He, I believe, that is I, correct. I believe you studied marketing. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So he he doesn't actually have the discipline to be able to evaluate, or at least when he when he was being formally educated, he did not he did, he did not learn how to manage uh, software engineers, not which, at all. which are the people no. that he manages currently. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, I guess I wanted to ask you. How is it that you stay abreast or are capable of managing persons with which you don't have a commonality of discipline? Mm,
1: okay. Um, th- there's a long way to, to, to say this, right? But um, uh, it's, it's always uh, harped or harpooned on supply and demand where um, or hustling with my insight on supply and demand. At age nineteen, that's the first dollar that I earned. Where I wrote an article, two hundred word, uh, two hundred word article for um, one dollar, um, and I'm like, "Whoa, uh, this this could be a living." This I could, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, a dollar. It took me an hour, so I'm like, I was making one dollar per hour. Um, I thought to myself, "Oh, this could be a living," but I mean, you know, I didn't know better. I was nineteen, um, and then uh, through the course of the next few years, although I never really thought of um, making more dollars. I, I never thought of business in that sense. I just always thought that there's always something that the market needs that you can provide. And, and that's, that's what I, I mean, that's, that's what I would say. Uh, and I, again, I'm, I'm trying to establish this, uh, this baseline, right? That, all, all throughout my career, you know, I'm 33 now, since age 19, I've always kept in mind that a um, dollar is worth more. You know, um, there, there are always markets out there if only I had the resources to tap into that international trade. And I didn't until my marketing career gave me a better insight into like global economics, mm. Um, And uh, the the reason for that is uh, as a marketing officer, my role was like um, a good part of my day-to-day was researching. Um, And that's uh, market research, keeping up with trends and reading data, accumulating, knowing how to um, gather data and more importantly, knowing how to act on them. So through that marketing career, I would say my global perspective ripened so it didn't exactly take so much for me to decide on having a business that deals with international trade so so how relevant is my uh, like small scale experience to to the global uh trade that uh, the company Ehrlich is engaged in I would say I just kind of dialed it from 1 to 11 like from from my uh from the fundamental composition of what makes a businessman thrive in a domestic retail business um which are if i were to point out a few like grit foresight um and discipline i guess those uh, that fundamental composition if put on the right market or uh, uh, engaged in the uh, more um more beneficial uh, or uh, more or in a trade of more output, those com- uh, th- that composition, that, uh, those uh, qualities would yield more. And I guess that's my answer to uh, like, I even forgot the question, right?
0: <laughs> no, the, the question being like, how do you stay, stay up to, uh, how do you manage people
1: who oh. are oh, in okay, this okay, okay.
0: field which is not originally your own?
1: All right. So the the more direct answer to that is uh, number one. I don't. Um, I I. It took some time for sure, but I eventually realized that management isn't exactly my thing. Um, however, again, uh, because it's it's uh, among the qualities that you are required to have in order to be a successful business person. Um, I had to play the part. I had to play manager uh, for a while for the first few years, and uh, even that, I can't say that I did like a stellar job in. So I did it perhaps just enough to grow. And now, now that, and at the soonest chance, I would say, at the soonest chance that I had, I hired managers to manage them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the introverted COO—that is me. Now just hides in the in the office mm. and you know keeps everything oiled up. <laughs> so so that's the more direct answer, right? I don't. Um, but uh, again, it's it's really uh, um, managing people uh, compared to like a small business like the retail one, um, always came with its own challenges, and uh, I I never always had the answers, but. When in doubt, I always went back to the, the core or the, the, what I believed in myself or what I identified as, which is sincere and hardworking. That's, that's I mean, I've, and I have been there many times where I doubted uh, if there was even a way out of certain situations. Um, and, and that's why. I mean, that's where, that's, those are the two things that I always um, counted on. And uh, I guess we, we you know that's that's how we got here.
0: <laughs> well I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on like two tangents for a quick second where you know you articulated how first, there was you know your management style with regard these people whose competence that you don't necessarily share mm-hmm. right and how um, yeah there's a base level of competence that you need to have to manage them mm. right which is what you did you uh, sort of assumed the role of a manager for a short period of time mm-hmm. but that you eventually sort of just got someone to manage them right mm. uh, this is just me relating a small anecdote in my own life because actually uh, I am a lawyer you alluded to it at the start of the podcast <laughs> it was one of the funniest experiences because my mother actually originally did not want me to go to law school. Mm. She she said she yeah, this is, these were her exact words. It was so funny. It was like Ram uh, right? Kung uh-huh. ka. Uh-huh. You don't have to do it yourself. Yeah, she she,
1: <laughs>
0: she saw it as like this: um, like why? You know, like money is the goal. Like, why do you bother mm. with this intermediate step of getting educated in law school when you can just pay for that level of expertise? Mm. And I think. And now this is the second point that I'm going to. This is probably the more important point that you made, mm-hmm. right? Or at least, at least the one that jumps out to me as being particularly prescient or insightful, uh-huh. which is the fact that Ehrlich and its success is attributed to, uh, you know, tapping into global trade. You mm. say you say you started yes. with this very simple example of like this article one dollars for per mm. article at the age yeah. of nineteen. Uh-huh. Um, uh, this 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 is very. Timely, because very recently, my mother doesn't like to tell me about how her business was when she was in the 80s, Mm -hmm. right? But apparently the 80s were the heyday for exporters in the Philippines. because Yeah, because of the Asian financial crisis, the peso exchange rate went from like 24 pesos to a dollar to something like 38 in a single night. Oh. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah, so what wound up happening is in a single night, without having to do anything, your gross margins went up by 33%. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and at the time there were still currency controls in place because of martial law, which Uh means you couldn't change more than one hundred fifty dollars at the same time. Okay. So if you did receive dollars, you could sell it to the public, right? Right, and you would get a premium also for being able to provide dollars Mm -hmm. because the banks were prohibited. Right. Right. So you know just that just that ability to tap into the global trade. Kind of, and I think it comes in waves. So in the 80s, perhaps it was mm. 80s and 90s. It was like manufacturing operations mm-hmm. in the Philippines, mm-hmm. um, and then now with the boom of the IT BPO sector, I think that that's sort of where it's at, mm. right? Which which is the which is the industry you come in. So for me, that creates this very powerful mm. contrast between brick and mortar businesses and the IT BPO sector, which you come from. And I can only imagine, or at least I struggle to imagine, uh, what the next wave will eventually be. Yeah, but um, right. that those, those are for bigger questions than people <laughs> that like us, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, but I guess one of the things that jumps out to me about the kind of business you're in because just contrasting it with my own experience in mm-hmm. our business is we take people sort of as they are, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you come, you don't even have a high school education. And mm-hmm. as long as you're willing to work, we can put you to work because it's, right. you know, ours is very labor intensive, very low to the ground kind of uh, manufacturing. Mm. right and but yours the people are highly skilled
1: mm yeah uh, is,
0: uh, that was, that's probably a correct classification mm-hmm. yes right and i guess what i wanted to ask is how is it that you're able to attract talent to you
1: cuz i think that's the big thing uh, in cebu right? yes right? okay now that's uh now that's the the interesting part and uh that's where um almost uh, in the same manner that i flinch when i um what i call myself an my entrepreneur Almost in the same manner as that I also say um or opposite to that, I guess, I also say that I'm lucky um luck definitely played a role, and uh, I mean of course, like people can say you know to claim um to 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 claim credit um if if I were to claim claim credit, I would say right that uh um luck fortune's the bold or uh I, I'm probably fortune favors the bold uh fortune all right favors the bold um i'm butchering that for sure but uh so if uh if, if we were to focus on luck i would say i'm lucky that number one i found a friend and that's Bastian, who is now the ceo of Ehrlich um which kind of just simply you know grew out of like us eating lechon He's a, he was he he was here in cebu and it's like um anybody want to grab dinner. I'm like, yep, Lechon, let's go. All right, so we did that. that. I mean, so this entire business can be attributed to one night in IT Park over Lechon. Um, and that's, I'm talking about Ehrlich. And more to that point, uh, of luck or fortune, Um, uh, it's I also met Erica, who possesses uh, like magnitudes more of expertise uh, than I do in the for, for the lazy listeners erica is his
0: wife so yeah <laughs> so th- this is erica. obviously him trying to score brown points <laughs> no but go ahead yeah, sorry this, i'm
1: just i'm trying to get her to buy for me <laughs> 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 so um but yeah erica i mean she's uh she she is uh now the ceo of matza which is the first company that i started um but we were talking about Why or in what way am I um, having this background uh, or, you know, starting from said background, able to attract these talents? Um, First of all, talking about Ehrlich, I would say it's because of Bastion. Bastion through and through. um, The only role at the beginning that I had was my experience in managing a Philippine business. So from the beginning, I knew... Uh, or uh, I've learned over two years at that point the nuances the necessary the needs of uh, um, running a Philippine business and Bastion on the other hand is on the international side of things so uh, we simplify it to our employees as I do all Philippine side of things and he does all outside Philippine side of things so he is the person that is, uh, he's, he's, he's the one that's in tune with global standards, um, world-class uh, project management practices, and uh, software engineering, um, having exited uh, startups and having been in the startup world for like uh, over, or like almost a decade by that point. Um, so to, again, the, the, that's the long answer to the question that is how am I able to attract talent? I guess the answer is no, that's not me. <laughs> 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 that's bastion mm. yeah but if we
0: can be granular about it like i guess um you know what is it that gets people to come to the to the field generally i mean like just mm. just speaking offhand okay. now i think perhaps uh, you know software engineering it's no it's no secret mm. uh, that like you're compensated rel- relatively mm. well right aside from uh, the compensation which i believe ehrlich does offer uh, mm, okay. what, what, what else do you guys offer to get the talent to come to you
1: there okay um, so thank you for uh, like drawing more out of that question right um, uh, and, and uh, that's a really important point to make which is um, if I were to simplify it sincerity and uh, or genuineness and uh, hard, uh, us being hard workers uh, Bastian and I and I'm just talking about Ehrlich here right not Mata because um, that's a completely different uh, business because of those two, um, because we always want to pay everyone well or a, a more a simpler way to say that is to treat everyone fairly because of that intention because we want everyone to stick around it is of course in the or in our business interest to um, keep everyone um, and uh, to keep them employed, keep them happy because of that, Our compensation is not exactly, I mean, we don't exactly look at the market. We don't exactly look at the, um, how much are these developers of this level of competency paid regularly? Like, okay, what does the market say? What do our competitors pay? We don't. We, instead, I mean, I don't think we we ever have paid attention to how much uh, others paid um, people like uh, our developers that we before we hire them. but it was always a question on how much will uh, is our client willing to pay for certain competency competency levels? And if we can make some money um, and some money out of that, say we can charge a client a certain amount and we take some for ourselves for to run the company and everything. And then pay the developers the rest. Then we're okay. So I would say that's absolutely one one of the uh, like the, the the good reasons why people come to us and stick around. The other is our flexibility. We have a uh, first principle thinking on what do our clients need and what do our people need. So our clients need output, quality work discipline, and good attitude, because these developers, these employees of ours work with a global team. If they can get that, if not more, by simplifying the day-to-day of our employees, then why not? And so we have done exactly that, which is why uh, a major part uh, of our engagement is <laughs> making the hourly-based pay work for uh, uh, the situation, for Um, a company like ours which is uh, to summarize it's our flexi schedule so we know that our developers or our employees want flexi schedule and we also know that the client don't mind it as long as their needs are met and so why not put it together Uh, I guess one reason is because of Philippine labor law (laughs) but we have right so so I would say uh, among many things um, those two, which I think make up seventy five percent of the reason why they come to us and stick around, those two are what I would say the the, the real reasons that we attract good talent. Yeah.
0: okay. So um, recently, though, so you know, this speaks to a little bit of the patterns we've outlined a while ago, where like in global trade, there are trends that happen. So as I said earlier, in the eighties and nineties, there was manufacturing, mm-hmm. and then now we're definitely in the IT BPO side, at least insofar as the Philippines is concerned, and the general boom of software development all over the world. Recently, or and well, this is a few months ago now. Like a big item in the news was. Uh, you know layoffs in the tech space mm, right right um so i guess uh like you know you're still in the business. obviously you're not abandoning ship mm, <laughs> so thank you what, what what do these layoffs mean in the
1: context of your industry mm, thank you for pointing that out because that's a very um i would say uh, a very relevant uh, part of our practices where we don't get swayed by trends so Of course, we want to cash in on every opportunity that we deem to align with our long-term plans, yes. For example, when the pandemic came, we knew that companies in the U.S. are going to cost cut, so that's good for us. Um, We knew that more developers will be needed really soon, okay? Um, So the pandemic to us, aside from... uh, I mean, of course, uh, not counting the the minor um, uh, disadvantages to us was overall positive, the pandemic, because of the surge in demand. Now, the layoffs that are happening in, you know with tech companies in, in the US can be summarized in in, in a few words and, um, and and it's in my perspective, uh, and you know the, also the things that I've read about it um they they all say that because the pandemic came and of course no one knew what was after like you know what came after the pandemic we always thought we always planned for this to be the long term like you know lockdowns and uh restrictions and everything um the surge in netflix's users right um because you know people are going to be staying more uh more at home um from then on that did kind of drive pretty much every or all relevant companies in the sector to plan for a future where the normal was as they seemed during the pandemic. So um, let me say that another way. Companies like Netflix, for example, hired more because they saw the surge in users. Nobody could have seen the 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 drop in users um, right after the pandemic nobody could have known that we were gonna go out like in two years after two years we'd be resuming our normal day to day um everyone uh, at least i think uh, everyone everyone who's now laying off um thought that that was going to be the normal thing which is why now that it's not they're laying off now to us, uh, and, and I'm, I'm trying to shorten this, right? Uh, but what I'm saying is that although we saw it as an opportunity, we didn't make any change in our uh, uh, core business model other than to continue doing the things that we did, just more of it. Hmm. So we didn't exactly introduce anything new. Um, we didn't uh, make major changes to accommodate this new business condition. That's for Ehrlich. Hmm. But for Mata, it's it's a different story.
0: Uh, I guess. Uh, you know, one of the things that I always talk about is that you know you have these salaries, and you hear you you, you watch movies like Silicon Valley, not not movies, series like Silicon Valley, yeah. and they have like uh, obscene amounts of compensation for their employees. So, <laughs> and it doesn't really make sense considering, um, you know, there are probably Filipinos on the side of the planet who can do the work that they do mm-hmm. for a fraction of the cost. Okay. So, and and this is just me cl- like seeking clarification now. So generally. Right? Is it because these companies were like, oh, if, we, if we're sending these guys home and having them work remotely, like, why don't we just get a Filipino to do that? Because <laughs> if they're already working remote anyway. Is that sort of how it shook out for you? Is this, is this how it might have created Absolutely.
1: Some... Absolutely. That's the perfect way to shorten it. Exa- exactly that. Like, oh, if, we're, if everyone's at home working on it anyway and we can pay someone half what we used to pay this other guy. For twice the work quality and the work the workmanship, the, the 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 availability. Why not? So it's like I mean it's it's a no-brainer business decision really, and that's the niche that we operate in.
0: <laughs> oh okay. So now we've we've talked a lot about like sort of the, the business environment and the specific things that companies do to sort of attract talent, specific things that Ehrlich does to attract talent in the software development space. Uh but I guess I wanted to sort of clarify this for the just on the off chance someone who is considering a career in software development is listening to the podcast. What are the features? What are the Traits of someone who is good at software development, just from like a general, not not even from like a technical perspective, mm. not like what Google or mm. Amazon certifications they have, but I like was gonna say that. what personality traits do they have? Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm I'm glad you said it that way because uh, my short answer would have been let's ask Bastian, <laughs> not me. But um, I would say uh, uh, and I shorted I shortened it um with ACE A C E, attitude, um, character, and efficiency or efficacy um so number one attitude is a is a is a good way to um highlight what makes filipinos um stand out in the global trade of software engineering or in the global workforce um we have good attitude we have uh, the uh, i mean hospita, uh, hosp- 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 hospitability um and uh i guess in, for good or for bad, the agreeableness. So so that's something we have. But um, speaking from experience, the people that we like, and uh, that's damn near everyone <laughs> in our company, have the right attitude. So that's one. Um, character is uh, another, where it's not necessarily a metricized, um, like uh, detail that we pay attention to but we kind of just draw people um and kind of like they they, they make it through our uh, screening process um and they are the ones with the good with good character overall um and i say that uh as you know with the context of ehrlich meaning honesty in germany that's that's the word um that's that's what it stands for um and uh So because of that, because of the founders, and that's Erica, me, and Bastion, um, always paying close attention to that, to the character of people that we deal with, um, I would say in indirect ways, it has um, kind of brought people the career that they want, um, everyone in, in our company, for the compensation that they like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where we are. And lastly, efficiency and efficacy. Now, that's me as COO. Um, I like working with people that are efficient. And true to that point, I don't mind them. Um, uh, and this is now a policy actually that's in the works. I don't mind them putting in less than eight hours, mm-hmm. um, because again, that's the very basis of our uh, our um, attendance. Right, you put in your hours. We don't mind them putting in less than eight hours as long as the work is done. Mm -hmm. So we have kind of created a new category, which is training hours, where you use the rest of your eight hours if you're done with your work for the day for training, for anything productive. And I I even said it, uh, it could be anything because I get asked this question all the time by our employees. What can we use the training hours for? Is it just uh, like training for management or uh, developing uh, or like software engineering design? It could be like how to how to dye your hair, how to how to cook, anything productive really. Um, so so anyway, you know uh, less about that. The again to shorten it, it's ACE: uh, attitude, character, and efficiency. Efficiency and efficacy.
0: Yeah. So actually, it's one of those things where, you know, software development in general is one of those disciplines where a pro and uh, an amateur, like mm-hmm. the, the gap is so much in terms of what they can do in their hour. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you an example. I think I've told you the story of the bullpen that I have, the, mm. the 40,000 yes. peso ballpen. where <laughs> I gave like a 10 minute piece of advice the, the person was ready to file a case right uh and they they were ready to dig in their heels and spend <laughs> two years in court and then i gave a 15 minute consultation and outlined that on the basis of some very archaic documents mm-hmm. that oh you know uh, you don't need to go to court I, I just think that um it was a land dispute so i said you just have to get this relocation survey done by a good genetic engineer and i'm mm. pretty sure that this problem can go away without having to uh go to court yeah and they were you know they were so thankful that yeah they had a 15 minute conversation with me they gave me the forty thousand peso bullpen (laughs) and much in the same way uh, a software developer Mm -hmm. you know uh, if if they're new and they're starting out and you know they go to github for everything and they you know they click around it takes them some time to Mm. get the the different modules the different components of the software that they're trying Mm. to build and they're generally slow about it uh you know, it, it, it's it's going to be night and day between someone who already knows, right? The general, like say, for example, they're already 10 years into system architecture. They're already 10 mm. years into security. It, it takes them like an hour to get something that's worth $100,000, mm. right? So uh, I think it, just recognizing that, and uh, I think you put it very well where there's like honesty, there's a character component to it because they know that also, I think. Right. They, they know the amount of value that they generate when mm-hmm. uh, if they're good at it, they, can, they know that their hour can be worth eight hours of someone right. much lesser than them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, I think, just having someone who has that base level of accountable, who knows that they generate value, but is nonetheless willing to show up for that eight-hour period, yes, that already speaks volumes. I think that already that already makes them worth their weight in gold when they were already previously uh, I worth agree. quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess now we've talked about Ehrlich, we've talked about people, and uh, we've talked about the people you employ. We've talked mm-hmm. about um, how it is you get them to come to Ehrlich. Uh, let, let's try to focus a bit about uh, your journey. You outlined just a little bit, like some details about, we, we dove a little bit into the motorcycle side hustle and then we mentioned how you were an employee. But I guess um, people see you now as this relatively successful businessman hmm. in your community here in Cebu. Um, let's sort of paint a brush of mm-hmm. where you came from, what it was your experience was when you were much younger. And you know to, to draw that contrast, because you mentioned a bit about how it was difficult what, what, what did little Ryan come from?
1: <laughs> okay. Um, all right. That's, a, that's an interesting question. I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> but, but I think I have, a, I have an answer. Um, number one, uh, and I, I wasn't exactly a stellar student. Um, oof, nothing close. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the thing that I could take pride in is math. So uh, I could do math quickly and um, it wasn't exactly like a natural skill to me. It's just, I just saw it as a fundamental skill that I have to be able to do. Um, And I mean, I'm talking about me before age 16, right? Because at age 16 is when I ran away. Um, So math to me, I found joy in kind of egotistically dominating (laughs) the, 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 the whole campus. So so that's that's something that I would say uh, I could trace um a lot of my um uh like skill, you know, to um now it just happened uh so if you're talking about background uh it, it just happened that that um uh level of attention that I have towards math just makes its way on uh, or into Um, Different parts of life. And uh, it just happened that at age 16, when I ran away, I was always doing math like, okay, I could I could get by with only six pesos a day if I ate bread. (laughs) and I'm like hmm all right that the math checks out (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and that's like an oversimplification right but like since that day since age 16 all the way to again today math has always been a fundamental part of my decision-making process so it was always a a pure and uh, uh, an intentional uh, deliberation on always at least two options so Um, And and that's another thing, right, which is uh, to consider every situation to always present two options, Um, even if there's only one thing you can do, because there are two options still there, inaction or action. And what are the true costs of those both uh, of those two options, Um, action and inaction? So um, little Ryan uh, just really liked math. (laughs) I guess that's how we would shorten it. Um, and everything else happened. Like, like, you know, at age 16, I kind of just had to shove the child in me somewhere because I had to hustle. I had to survive. Um, and, uh, I guess that's a big part. I would say a big part of what made me who I am today.
0: Mm. Well, uh,
1: and you do and i guess
0: again we should always reemphasize that ryan is not a guy who's hard up for cash right now he's doing pretty well <laughs> right so this is where this is where a lot of these these queries are coming from before i venture much deeper into them we speak about options uh we speak about your your personal circumstances uh were there any challenges like really large challenges or failures even that, uh, you know, stand out to you as inflection points where, you know, if I was just a teensy bit of a lesser man, you know, I might not be where I am today because I would have dissuaded me just to give. Uh, and and uh, again, like if, if um, like wh- whatever just jumps to mind, whatever you're comfortable with sharing uh, that will give people an idea that, no, this was not always predestined. This was not always meant to be that it took a, a fair bit of grit to get mm. to this point. Just anything that comes top of mind.
1: Oh, absolutely. I have one. Uh, and this is recent fairly. Um, in, uh, through the pandemic, that was in 2020. Um, so, and, and that, okay. 2020 to me was like a dark year. Um, not just because the pandemic, I mean, you know, it was, it, was, it was great. I mean, that's when Ehrlich started. And that's when Mata found its traction. Because, you know, the pandemic, everything's virtual. And that's exactly the business that we're in, virtual stuff, virtual maps, virtual islands, virtual tours. That's what MATA does. But despite it all, um, 2021, uh, 2020 was a dark year. Why? Because it was the year that I I did two things. One, st- I started trusting people, um, and which is kind of, in many ways, counterproductive to someone who's like me, who has had to depend on himself since age 16. And two, not trust people. So I did exactly those two things in that year. And this, and I'll, I'll explain how they're relevant and who pulled me out of that. So I trusted people because I saw that this is a year of opportunity and I can't do it all. There's no way that I by myself can cash in on this opportunity. So I had to bring in more people. And uh, and that's for Mata. And secondly, Ehrlich came along where I trusted. I entrusted not just a big part of my future, but like maybe a bigger or majority of my future into a new business with Bastion. So I had to trust him, which is the guy that I would have the least effort trusting. Okay. So I trusted people. During that year now at the same time I had to which is kind of a long time coming untrust people and I'm talking about uh, like people that I dealt with over Mata with Mata um, or in in, in Mata I absolutely encountered and I remember distinctly it was like towards the end of that year um, a point where I was just ready to give up that business because I I saw or I had a skewed lens that I was seeing the world through despite the presence of Ehrlich, which was quickly becoming profitable. I had this lens because of my experience with Mata um, and, or people that I dealt with that everyone's just, you know, the baseline for everyone is just like greed, like everyone always wants something more, even at the cost of others. That's how I saw everyone, um, and that actually, th- again, a long time coming. That was because I always had that perspective since age sixteen, and it was like in twenty twenty, I was right. You know, that's that's how I saw it. Um, so that was uh, that was that was a dark year for me. That got undone by Erica, I would say, because that's a cute perspective of mine um, about trusting people, which is why I can say that I untrusted and trusted people. Kind of takes a little bit of your soul without you knowing how much. Like, it, it takes so much of you that uh, you you want to be intact to come out of it, but... but at the end of the like say at, at the end of the the three quarters you realize how much you have deteriorated um so so erica okay just to kind of shorten it or summarize it, it it was erica that really um pulled me out of that rabbit hole where from which i was seeing the world where i would say nah everyone's just greedy there's no point in having genuine relationships everything's transactional And that's what business really is. And that was my summary. That's what I thought business really was. So I would say that's like, I mean, it's not to say that she's not doing well now as CEO of Meta. But I would say that is her biggest, to me, contribution to the company and me. (laughs) (laughs) Pulling me out of that 2020 dark rabbit hole.
0: You you can you can tell that uh,
1: Ryan is an incredible
0: husband because he, he, he like instinctively <laughs> makes it about his wife. So uh, this this is uh, undoubtedly going to be a successful marriage. <laughs> um.
1: And I really like that motorcycle. <laughs> um,
0: um, no, but uh, I guess I guess it's one of those things that I have I have bit have a bit of a unique insight sharing on as a as a lawyer. Um, you know, business is generally putting out small fires. Like, I think... Mm. Like, True. like, there's, if a business without issues is, you know, you're you're probably like in a dictatorship and you're a monopoly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no matter yeah. how bad we do this, people are going to buy from us. Like, like, uh, <laughs> but um, if you if you if you live in a functioning society like the Philippines, you're mm. always going to be dealing with some issue, whether it's the BIR or some other government office, mm. right? Or if, whether it's not interpersonal conflict, whether or not it's employees. Right. But I think I think some of the things that jump out, which mm. are so small. Right in terms of the scope of their effect on the business and Mm -hmm. the 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 severity with which they come, is when you are cheated, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's one of those things that really sort of rips you out of whatever whatever functional paradigm that you apply to your business. The the day that someone breaches your trust, Mm. right? It it it's it's you know you can like from a profitability perspective, uh, still be. You, you could be reeling for quite a long time, even though it didn't actually affect your bottom line mm-hmm. all that much. Like uh, coming mm-hmm. from a personal example, um, we had an employee steal a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. right? Like um, this was, you know, it, it was like maybe one, 2% of our right. of our bottom line, uh-huh. right? It, it, was a, it was a big amount, don't get me wrong, right? right? Uh-huh. But that just soured me so completely mm. that someone could like maliciously go out yeah. of their way
1: yeah, to cause
0: that kind of harm, yeah. right? And it made me view so many transactions, or or all the transactions, with suspicion.
1: Mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah. From then on,
0: yeah. And you know, you have to sort of okay, no, no, this is not a feature mm-hmm. of like business relations. This is not a feature of human interactions. Mm. This is the quintessential exception. We shouldn't we shouldn't color our interactions yeah. based on uh, this one particular betrayal. Yes. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess that's something that I think I think you can only really
1: learn once it's happened to you. That's true. And uh, the way I see it is, it's it's not it's, I mean, they all they look like us, all right. People that betray us look like us. It could be anyone. And um, just as you said, that it's not a feature. It's not a reality. It's not it's not a thing that you should accept. Um, it's it's uh, because you know by doing uh, or by, by taking it in. And allowing it to or accepting it into the way you see other things from then on, it kind of just, yeah, sours your experience from, from that day onwards. And uh, in, in my case, I would say, um, y- using a similar example to that, um, that was exactly what I thought was going to be my reality from then on. Like, oh, I got soured, I got betrayed. Uh, I think that's just the way the world is. And, uh, and, and there's some value, don't get me wrong, there's some value to believing that because then, you know, you become less susceptible or less vulnerable. Um, but, and this is what I, you know, I've been taught basically um, by, by Erica, that by being vulnerable, you are not just allowing yourself to harm, you know, to be harmed but also you're opening yourself up to to be good to 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 for good things to happen to you. So by shutting everyone down or sh- shutting everyone off or out you're not just shutting out the bad stuff but also the good stuff. So that's what it means to live. <laughs>
0: mm. Well, and and this is one of the things that that's a feature of like and we met in the context of you being from Cebu Chamber and um that was some of our first interactions. So, you know, it's not enough for you that you have this prosperity in your own life and in the lives of your employees, you're actually working in the broader society. You know, we see each other in like uh, DTI events or events that have some collaboration with the DTI. You're actually not just in Ehrlich, you know, making the business run. You're actually trying to make the surrounding environment better for it. Okay, and that that to me jumps out as something that's unique because most businessmen are like. Uh, you know, like my business, <laughs> right. like number one, my <laughs> business, and they don't make time for these other mm. social endeavors, right? But you do a, a bit of work for these uh, business associations.
1: Why do you do that? Okay, um, and and that's something as recent as this year, and what, what, what day is it? It's 25th day of the year, right? Yeah. That's something as recent as this year that I'm still trying to figure out. Um, so far, in the course of me doing one stuff that are directly relevant for my businesses, and two, doing that are stuff that are beneficial for the community. In the course of doing those two, over the past few years, those are uh, that's something that I'm still trying to figure out. But I have, over time, accumulated some answers in some degree. So, I'll, and I'll go through like some of them. One. At the core, it could be seen as a selfish endeavor because the more I am out there, the more I become more reputable and the more uh, my businesses can benefit from me as a person and uh, my reputation. So that's the the selfish way to see it. Another is another selfish way to see it is the more uh, I'm out there, the more um, public we become as a company then the better it is for the brand because the more reach, the more potential clients, right? More potential employees.
0: And it's probably really good for you because a lot of your your business is B2B.
1: That's correct. Yes. So, but also at the same time, I'm starting to think like, but really, do we need that? So for example, I went off social media for the entire year of 2018 and I knew that I have never found peace like I have in that year like (laughs) ever since or ever before. um, 2018 was like a peaceful year for me because I had zero social media and I've been looking forward to the day that I could do that again. Um, And I know that if I did that, the business will be okay. So. What I'm saying is, like, even if I didn't go to these social events and didn't engage myself in these uh, community based endeavors, um, that that basically asked or gave me the insight that even if I didn't do all those things, the businesses would be fine. So why am I still doing it? Now, my next answer or my, the, the, the other thing that I um, encountered is that in the general perspective of wanting to bring value, not just to my employees, but the, our immediate circle, um, which means their families, are families. I think it's just a a spillover like I think because I want that for our people and our circles and their circles and then the circle that is Cebu and then the country it's like kind of naturally grows and it's like you know you can't draw a line like oh yeah I can't I'm not gonna benefit that part of the community because I decided that only our circle right okay so how are you related so um, I mean there's never a line that you can draw um, to to exactly where your impact uh, should manifest. So so I guess that's another uh, another thing that I could uh, I could point to, which is uh, something I encountered as recent as last year, that, you know, why am I still doing this? Um, so as of this year, so that build up all the way to this year, um, or over the past two weeks, I would say, trying to still figure out my answer, my real answer to that question, and, you know, not knowing or not, not factoring in anything external. I would say it's just because I'm sincere and hardworking. And like, okay, where do I put my hard work? Into things that I'm sincere about. And I really want what's good for our circles, our community. And I guess because there's, there's still, still some things that I can give, Naturally, it just goes to where I am immediately, and that's Cebu. Mm. Uh,
0: And so, I guess this speaks to the same question, but like from a different angle. Like, what is the, what is your, what is your view of your relationship with government generally? Right, Mm. like, because interesting, uh, there are lots of projects by the DTI, for example, that help business. But Mm. a lot of business processes are structured to prevent you from getting sued or (laughs) prevent (laughs) prevent the BIR from asking uncomfortable questions. You know, these are just some examples. Mm. No, yeah, all right. So I guess, like, what is your relationship with the government? What is your opinion of the Mm. government? And like, yeah. Because, like, you know, it, it's weird that you have someone who so actively collaborates with the business mm-hmm. uh, community and the government. Because, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you, I know yes. that you assist with, like, startup uh, initiatives, but that the DTI handles. Mm-hmm. And you're in a business that's relatively heavy regulated, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Just
1: what is your relationship in that regard? Okay. Um, I have... Two answers, um, and uh, those are like at different points in my career. One, when I, was in 20, uh, when I was 24, and another when I was 28. When I was 24, I, I took a leading part in the procurement of thousands of motorcycles. <laughs> and uh, it was at that point in my career that I realized how much corruption there really is. And I mean, you know, we're on record, so you know, I won't go into too much details. But the point is that um, over, over uh, sixty, no, over seventy percent went into corruption, and that's like thousands of motorcycles. I'm like, whoa, and I was nauseous. Like, I, I couldn't imagine that that was like a day-to-day thing. I'm like, wow, this is where we live. This is, this is the country we're in. And, you know, since that day, I swore to myself I'd never register any business. Like, even if I I, I reached a level of success, I would never register it. I would never pay taxes. (laughs) That's what I thought to myself. Um, He's joking. He's joking. (laughs) And I do. I do. (laughs) Um, That's what I thought to myself at age 24. But then at age 28, having, having taken on... Um, the challenge of uh, bringing in a, a new technology, which is immersive technology, to the country, all by me onesies, I, I there was no way I could like create a dent or like achieve a level of impact, like even like a small degree of impact, without help. And that's something I'm just, I guess, fortunate that I realized early on. And because I needed help, I was like hmm, there's, there's this government program, the government that I swore never to work with, <laughs> that is in the way or that absolutely propels this intention um, to, to degrees that I could not otherwise accomplish by myself. Why not give it, sh- give it a shot? And I did. I was 28. I proposed that, hey, this technology is coming my recommend, or it would be best, uh, the, and I'm talking about immersive technology, and my dream is for, in five or ten years, for people around the world when they think of an immersive technology product that they think Philippines, like the Philippines was a BPO capital, like the Philippines was uh, a capital or like a, a, a center for manufacturing. In that same manner, VR or immersive technology, let's bring it over here. So that was my pitch to the government. So I'm talking about those two events. One, where at age 24, I swore never to do anything with the government. And two, for me to eat those words and do the exact opposite. Now, what is my relationship with the government as of today? Now that I'm 33, I would say both are still true. There are the the, the reality of the... the conditions of uh, you know working with the government is still there especially for a business like ours um, th- I mean that's just a part of the things that we have to navigate through but does it mean that we accept it does it mean that we'll never do anything about it anymore and I'm talking about say the corruption no not necessarily it just means that you're aware that it exists that over to the other side, because of your positive intentions with sincere and genuine positive individuals that are still in the government because you're working with them and you know that the the bad stuff all right let's just say that um the the bad stuff still exists you know how to navigate your way through the bad stuff to get to the good stuff and i would summarize my relationship with the government as such we pay our taxes we You submit to regulation. We make sure that we are hundred percent compliant, and that's exactly why I'm sitting across the table with you, (laughs) and um, or at least how it started. And uh, but at the same time, being aware of the bad stuff that are going on, and Mm -hmm. incrementally, out of sincerity and hard work, making micro decisions that lead up, or at least hopefully contribute to a better. Tomorrow, like a better way to minimize because maybe eradicating it is too much of a tall order. Minimize the effect of the bad stuff. So I would say that I work with a lot of good people in the government to minimize the bad stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, you know, this is something that I, I can speak with a relatively unique perspective on. As a lawyer, like I always, and you know, half the stuff that I'm thinking about, I can't say because if Mm. I did, they would take they would take my license away. Part of of the lawyer's oath is to respect the duly constituted authorities. So I won't repeat any of the stories about corruption that I've heard, because, Mm. again, we are being recorded. (laughs) Um, But I, I guess I can say some fair things right mm-hmm. like uh there was this viral news article where it, there was like a a stairway that was being put in some municipality in the united states and they bid it out for like uh like a, a million dollars or something and mm. then some guy before the project starts he gets like he goes to like home depot <laughs> buys like two hundred dollars of Damn. of wood and then put makes the staircase uh-huh. <laughs> that they were intending to make and he makes it in like a week and then the guy was like like it's not that hard guys like (laughs) so so i guess i guess from from, just to make a point yeah 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 and of course they had to demolish it and then they pushed through with the thing but then they 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 found a way to reduce the the price of that project i think that was how that story shook out (laughs) okay very interesting yeah but i guess i guess from that story one important uh, takeaway that I have is that inefficiency, again, you, uh, corruption is a form of inefficiency, exists mm, exists everywhere. Now, in a in a place as in a place as uh, abundant and as prosperous as America, half a percent is enough. Mm. You know, maybe less of mm. inefficiency to, you know, mm. to to grease the wheels. Mm. in the Philippines, which I think I think our budget is four trillion pesos, which is around two hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. budget is one trillion. Is that it? No, 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 no. That I think ours is twenty billion dollars, and theirs is one trillion. So something about like on the order of one five hundred.
1: Okay, okay. In terms
0: of the size of their federal oh, government, mm, right? Uh-huh. So maybe that, like, I, I I like to reduce things into economic terms, All and right. maybe this is me supposing now. This is me coming to a conclusion why perhaps corruption is more prominent in the Philippines. It's just mm-hmm. because to get to those levels where it's worthwhile, it takes up a proportionately mm. larger share of the pie. It does not. It does not. Right. It, it does not point to some inherently larger moral failing in mm. Filipinos generally. Mm. Mm. And this is where I come back with another anecdote of mine. Uh, I, recently, I spent some time in Zamboanga del Sur with mm-hmm. uh, uh, a mayor. Uh-huh. Uh huh. mayor Jerry Paglinawan of a tiny town. Uh uh-huh. Called Dumingag. Okay. Uh. Dumingan. Yeah, it, it's it's a very cool town. Uh, it's about fifty thousand people, but everywhere that mayor goes, <laughs> he has at least eleven bodyguards. Whoa! Uh, some are some are his. Uh huh. So like, I think a few are his, uh-huh. and then a few are from the army, and a few are from the police that they have assigned to him. Whoa! Right. <laughs> and that mm. that to me really drove home a point. You know, like government's no cakewalk either. He needs to have those right, bodyguards right, because right. apparently his municipality was identified as being um, having uh, rebels oh. inside of it. You know, those are the people that rebel against the national government. Uh-huh. So he needs that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nowhere right. on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To 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 continue to perform yeah. his functions as a mayor. Yeah. And imagine, it's like a small town of 50,000 pesos and 11 of the government workers or so. Some, some number like that. 50,000 people? 50,000 people, yeah, are just assigned to his protection. Wow. Right? (laughs) And, you know, you don't have that many government employees because it's a small town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, people talk to me and they expect me to completely agree Mm -hmm. with, like, this terribly fatalistic perspective Mm -hmm. of, like, the the Philippines and, like, the, the general trajectory of the country. And they're often surprised when I don't agree. Right, when I say, and I think, I think we're on the same wavelength. That we're optimistic about the general trajectory of the Philippines. Yes, mm-hmm. it has its problem, mm-hmm. right? But that doesn't mean that <laughs> you know, like it's hopeless and that yeah. you know nothing can be done. I think, frankly, we're in a better place now than we were. I agree. Uh, like a few decades ago. I agree. Right. Yes. Like, and just just for like a general economic prosperity perspective, but and this is me segueing now to I guess the final topic in the podcast. Given that, you know, we're so optimistic about the future, where do you see yourself in five
1: years? (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting question uh, because I've always missed the mark. I mean, I've always asked myself, I mean, I've always been asked that question, you know, whether by myself or by job interviews. (laughs) Um, No, no, with job
0: interviews, it's like one, two years. They know (laughs) that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, especially with you know today in today's day and age, right? Mm. Um, but but yeah, I've always been asked that question, and I've always missed the mark. Um, so, I guess you know, learning from how much I've been missing the mark, I would say, you know, uh, there are only a few things that I can be certain of. Um, and uh, in those things, they do not include exactly where I am, what I will be doing, and exactly in what business. Uh, or exactly what um, level of engagement would I have with what institutions. But among the things that I am certain of, I would say MATA will still be around and Earl will still be around. So, having accumulated a number of years of hustling um, from little Ryan (laughs) (laughs) to age 16 to um, retail to today, I would say mata and ehrlich for the foreseeable future or the foreseeable conditions of the next five years would continue to exist and point or oh, and, and and i point out i emphasize that i say exist because we're not set you know we, we're not set out for world domination <laughs> we're not exactly trying to climb up a big tree and you know for for us to not know what to do once we're at the top but what we do know is that we value progress over perfection so there will never be a perfect form for ehrlich nor for mata but what we do know is we'll always continue to bring value create impact and in five years surely mata and ehrlich will still be around okay Okay. Well,
0: with that, uh, Ryan, that is usually the the last question in the podcast. So um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your insights.
1: I'm very appreciative of you bringing me on. Thank you so much.